Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Hello and welcome to an all-new installment of Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network, live from the Jim Pluckett Studios in the heart of the downtown Severna Park Business District in the bucolic western shore of Maryland. Uh, this is the the best political podcast covering state and local politics in Maryland. It is Red Maryland Radio. I am your host, Greg Klein, flying solo tonight. Brian Griffiths is on assignment doing whatever he does. If you follow him on social media, you can go to Instagram, see every meal that he's having. You can f- track his, uh, I'll say alcohol intake on Twitter. But whatever he's doing, he's not here. So it's left to me to be your humble host tonight. We've got a lot of stuff to get through tonight. Thanks for joining us here. If you're listening live on Facebook.com slash Red Maryland, if you're listening on podcast later or on video on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, thank you for joining us. Let me start off. In this first segment, let me do a little rundown, a couple, couple announcements, and then we'll get right into it because there's a lot of ground to cover, a lot going on. In the first segment tonight, I want to talk about wrap up our uh, Red Maryland Leadership Conference. If you were there, um, thank you. We'll talk a little bit about that. If you were not there, I want to tell you a little bit about what you missed, some of the stuff that came. So much fantastic stuff. I could take the whole hour talking about all the amazing facts and details and discussions and so many great speakers we had so many great people support it we'll talk about that in the first segment then we'll take a break we'll come back um, the governor released his budget and i gotta tell you if you're a conservative as i am as most of you who are listening this is a very conservative budget this is a budget that and it's not the first time the governor's done this but this is this if you want to know why it's important that we as a movement move forward in the state, why it's important as a movement that we elect more Republicans, that we continue to have a Republican in government house, in the in the governorship here in Maryland, what a difference it makes. Look at this budget, probably this budget as much as anything else. So we'll, we'll break it all down. And then one of the things we talked a lot about on Saturday was that the number one issue going in, and we talked about this last week here on this podcast, from looking at the Gonzalez Bowl, the number one issue really despite what the insiders in the Annapolis bubble are talking about, for the people in the IRL in Maryland, the number one issue is crime. And our House our House uh, Republicans came out with a plan today talking about some of the same things the governor's talked about. I'll break that down. So a lot of ground to cover here in the next hour. Love to get your feedback as you're listening. After you listen, send us an email, redmaryland at gmail.com. You can leave a comment, facebook.com slash redmaryland, or on Twitter, at redmaryland. You can go to redmaryland.com. You can find our talkback line. I'll give that number to you a little later. So let's get right into it. Um, Saturday's event, you heard us leading up to it. Those of you who were there, and it was, and uh, we came, we, we added a lot more tickets last year. I don't know if we've revealed exactly what we did, but we added about 50% more tickets than we did the than we did last year, where we sold out a month early. Uh, we did end up selling uh, all the tickets that we ha- had planned to make available. We sold a number at the door. Uh, the event was incredibly successful, so we will absolutely be doing it again next year. Thank you for everybody who bought a ticket, our wonderful sponsors, incredibly generous sponsors. Um, and uh, I'm not going to name them all here because it will take a lot of time. We we named them and honored them and will continue to do so. Thank you so much. Uh, for all of our fantastic speakers, as I'll go through here, so many I can't, I can't. I, I again, I could take an hour talking about how great this event was and how much we learned. I just want to give you some of the highlights here in this first segment. But uh, Brian and I, uh, you know, kind of put it on and let it go. And couple, we learned a lot from the first year that we made it better. Um, if you went and you had some constructive criticisms, there's some things we can do to make it better going forward. But um, it's getting bigger and better, and it's uh, and for, first and foremost, I have to say thank you to everybody who um, who was there and who supported that. And and let me just go through if you if you weren't there, so many things that are notable for people in this audience. 
And I know there were people who planned to come. People bought tickets, whether because, you know, there was a little bit of weather or because of the Ravens game. Some people weren't able to make it. And I, I'm sorry to hear that because uh, you really missed out. Um, and given the way the Ravens game went. Uh, anyway, it was certainly much more upbeat than the Ravens game ended up being. Um, but let me just run down, give you some highlights of, of, of what you missed. Um, we started the day off. Uh, Brian and I, you know, kicked it off and just went right into the speakers. I mean, just so you know, these events, if you've been to them, it's not a lot of Brian and I talking. I mean, we (laughs) we would love to, but we do a little, hey, thanks for coming at the beginning and jump right into it. Um, One of the things we did this year was uh, I I, um, moderated our legislative leaders panel. I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, and that was it. We had guest moderators um, and we, we let them do the job and they were all every single one was fantastic and hit it out of the park. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, the event's over. They were all great. Um, and we had some last minute hiccups trying to get some people who weren't able to make it. That was something we were really worried about the first year. This year we were able to roll with the punches. It was fantastic. Uh, but we just kind of let these people go and. I mean, I, I have to talk about them because they did such an amazing job, every single one of them. And if you were there, you know that. Uh, so, so sorry, we started the day right out of the shoot with Doug Mayer. And now a lot of people, apparently some who were there uh, from some of the feedback that I've seen, don't really know who Doug Mayer is. Doug Mayer, as he mentioned, um, it was one of the architects of Governor Hogan's election and re-election campaigns. He is he is a he is a fantastic political strategist. He came to Maryland after working for Nikki Haley. Um, he knows his business, and we had a lot of people there on the campaign side from different kinds of angles, talking about different things. But every single one of them had a track record of winning, and they know their business. And that's that was a theme that we wanted to bring out because these aren't just people we know and like; these are people who are successful. And I'm somebody who who is always I subscribe to the notion that if you want to find out how how to succeed, you talk to people who've been successful. And Doug Mayer, working with the Hogan campaign, has accomplished electoral success in Maryland that literally people thought was impossible even a few years ago. And one of the things he talked about and he told us before he came in, he said, Brian, Greg, I'm going to just tell it like it is. It's going to ruffle some feathers. People aren't going to like what I what I have to say. But I'm going to just tell it like it is and, and, and be real because that's who he is. And the fact is, he was actually pretty well received. There was some feedback I want to address here in a second. I'm not going to linger on it. But he came in and said, look, here was a statistic that he gave. And, I, and it, it, it made an impression on me. And I want all of you to listen to this and understand this. OK. He pointed out. And when you look at when when you go back and look at the facts, he's absolutely right. But I've never heard it presented this way, and it's incredibly important. 2018 election here in Maryland. Okay, you had more registered Democrats come out and vote in the November 2018 state and local elections than there are registered Republicans in the state of Maryland. Let me say that again. If we had 100% turnout amongst registered Republicans in 2018, we still would have been outvoted by the Democrats. Okay? That's, that's the reality of where we are in this state. We are so outnumbered that even if we got 100% turnout amongst Republicans, and by the way, Republican turnout was much higher in 2018 than it was in 2014. It was, it was higher than Democratic turnout, but even with that, there were more Democrats that voted in 2018 in Maryland than there are registered Republicans. And so with that kind of cold water in your face, and of course, and of course, despite that fact, um, Doug Mayer and Governor Hogan were able to win. Governor Hogan was able to win reelection with a double digit margin. And, and, and I think people sleep on this and they kind of forget about this. Governor Hogan won by double digits against a guy in Ben Jealous. Ben Jealous got more votes for governor than any other Democrat in the history of the state of Maryland. That is an extraordinary political accomplishment. And as we get into the second uh, break and I talk about this budget, 
there's a night and day difference between what would have happened if Ben Jealous had been governor and what Governor Hogan is doing. So this is a big deal. If you're a conservative, this was a huge, huge victory, and we're seeing it literally every day in the General Assembly. And Doug Mayer was a big part of that. One of the things he talked about was if we're going to expand the conservative movement, we're going to expand getting more Republicans in the legislature, which we desperately need, okay, One of the things we're going to have to do, and this is common sense, this should not have been controversial, but I'm afraid with some of you it is. We're going to have to get, we're going to have to recruit candidates to run as Republicans who are competitive in blue districts, which means they're probably going to be more moderate, okay? And that we need to get more people elected who agree with us as conservatives 80% of the time, 70% of the time, rather than yielding the field in so many districts to guys who disagree with us 100% of the time or 90% of the time. And that that is something that is doable, okay? And, and we have to be very practical and have that kind of um, understanding because just the idea of getting our base out, that's not, we're not going to win in Maryland if that's all we do because there isn't enough of a base to do it. And I think, again, Governor Hogan has shown that model that can happen. So that's what we start out with, Doug. Now, there was somebody, and I won't mention their name because they're kind of a perennial candidate who's never won anything. I, I would put Doug Mayer's record of accomplishment and electoral success up against anybody's in this state. But there was somebody I saw who was mentioning, well, they didn't know who, first off, they have no idea who Doug is. They have no idea what he's doing. They called him some guy. And they said, and they said we're facing this existential threat from the left and uh, recruiting more moderate candidates isn't the answer well even if you agree with that premise and I think some of that's a little overblown and hyperbolic losing elections is not going to stop the left and there are a lot of candidates who are running in this state and they seem to gravitate towards congressional races who aren't interested in winning And one of the things that Doug Mayer talked about is if you want to accomplish something, if you want to move a movement forward, if you want to change policy, if you want to make change incrementally or dramatically in a better direction, if you want to stop the bad stuff that's happening, you have to win at the ballot box. If your plan is not to defeat the left at the ballot box, what is your plan? What is it you hope to accomplish? Living in your little bubble on Facebook is not going to change anything, okay? You know, that's what we talk about. These people have the born to lose tattoo on their forehead. If you're not in this to win, and by the way, you can win, and this was another point a lot of the folks who were talking about this stuff were making. You don't have to compromise all of your conservative principles, but you have to, you have to make priorities, you have to, and you have to work with people who don't agree with you 100%. And this was the point that, that he was making. And it was a fantastic presentation. And it's, it, it, was, it was a great lesson from a guy who knows what the heck he's talking about. Uh, after that, we had our legislative leader panel, leadership panel. And again, I want to thank uh, Delegate Jalega, Delegate Kipke, Senator Hershey, Senator Jennings for coming up. They, we, we took questions from the audience. We changed the way we did questions, which we're never going back to the old way. <laughs> okay. We're not letting people ask questions from the audience anymore ever at any of these things. We had people write questions down, pass them up. That worked a million times better. You know, I gave a little speech at the beginning. You heard us talk about it last week. You know, a question is a statement with a, a question mark at the end of it, which got a great laugh when I said it. But there were a lot of people who, who didn't understand that point. And I was still getting, you know, people writing three paragraphs with no questions in them. Anyway, we were able to these guys were able to answer a lot of questions on wide ranging um, and I, I'm not going to go through all of it because, again, it was, a, it was a jam-packed hour talking about stuff. But a couple takeaways from it, and I talked a little bit about this on WGMD this morning. One of the big takeaways was that the number one issue in the legislature this year, as much as Kerwin is dominating kind of inside the Annapolis bubble, the number one issue is crime. That's what they're hearing from their constituents. That's what the polling is indicating. And that's where the governor is focused and where Republicans in the legislature are focused. People are very concerned about crime, and they're concerned about crime, particularly in the city of Baltimore and in very Democratic areas. And the Democrats don't want to talk about crime because they don't really have any solutions. 
They want to talk about gun control, but they don't really have any solutions to the actual violence that's going on in these places. And this is this is something that needs to be addressed. That is obviously a very serious concern. Um, the other thing that that they talked a lot about, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the budget, was that on Kerwin, a couple of things that I want to touch on real quick. On Kerwin and in the state Senate particularly, the Democrats appear to be a little bit on their heels. The 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 um intense focused message that the governor has the anti-tax message governor hogan has had is having an effect the democrats are 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 backtracking on the idea of raising taxes to pay for Kerwin. i know i know they had a uh today some progressive groups wanted to to push forward with something like that but bill ferguson particularly has been insisting that there's not going to be this lurch to the left we'll see but the fact that he's even saying that is significant. I think a lot of the senators, and we had a lot of state senators who were at our event, and thank you all for coming, they all kind of said the same thing. We've heard this from him both publicly and privately, and he's met with all of them. And I think the Democrats are really on their heels when it comes to raising taxes. I think they're really, really concerned. What The messaging that the governor is putting on this is having an effect. And the fact is, and Delegate Jalega mentioned this on Saturday the Minority Caucus released the poll that they had this week. Uh, the polling shows that. Okay. The, the, the Hogan administration, they're great at doing internal polling. Not that I think you need to do a lot of scientific polling to understand that most people think they pay too much in taxes here in Maryland. But they do, and it's overwhelming numbers, and the Democrats know it. Kerwin is a political loser for them. And the governor is beating them mercilessly with it. Now, they've got the numbers to force it through. So the question is, how big a hit do they want to take? I think this is far from over. And that was one of the fascinating things that we talked about. A lot of other things. I can't go through it all. But thank you to our legislators who came. Uh, That was great. Uh, We had Rory McShane and Ian Patrick Hines. By the way, Rory's presentation, you can go to our Facebook page and see see the video on that. He had a guy come in and do some video, thing, and Rory was one of our sponsors. Um, you can listen to his, his, his presentation. Again, a lot of common sense stuff. He's like, if you want to win elections in 2020, this was great. Um, and, and, I, and if you're a candidate, you think about being a candidate, do yourself a favor. Go listen to what Rory said. Um, he said, yard signs? You don't need them. They, they do nothing. I only let clients get yard signs because they feel like they're weird if they don't. They do nothing. Sign waving, which he knows we love here in Maryland because he's a Severna Park guy and he grew up here in Maryland. He's like completely useless. He's like, if you want to do it before the hours that you would do door knocking, fine, I'll let you. But otherwise, it's completely useless. What works today, and he talked about what what it is. It's knocking on doors. It's targeted, micro-targeted messaging that's laser-focused, that gets the best return on investment. That's what's going to win smart smart stuff from a guy who has won elections not just here in maryland but around the country uh representing republicans and and you know ian patrick hines another local guy who was returning this year uh he talked about social media and how to use it in an intelligent way in an effective way okay rory said which i loved and by the way i made sure i said as loud as i could brian did you hear that when rory said you you persuade nobody by having a Twitter fight, okay? You know, and Twitter is useless, and LinkedIn is useless, and there's some value in Facebook if you're a candidate, and Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. But other than that, it's all a waste of time. And only do it if you're super, super laser-targeted, which now with technology you can do in amazing ways. And, uh, and I, again, I'd urge you to go. If you, By the way, if you're a candidate... Those two presentations and what Doug was talking about, those were worth the price of admission right there. I guarantee you. The best advice you're ever going to get if you're serious about running for office. Um, then we had some of our panels, and I have to mention Jerry Rogers, our good friend from WBAL. Last-minute changes, some, some changing um, for the pro-life panel. Fantastic panel. As Jerry said, it's the most important panel of the day because it's the most important issue. Uh, whether you subscribe to that or not, it was a very moving, it was a very powerful panel. Laura Bogley from Maryland Right to Life was, was fantastic. I think the audience was, was very much 
um, moved by that. And by the way, it wasn't this negative, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do. It was, here's the reality of the situation we're in, here's what we see positively that we can do going forward. And there's this whole spectrum of things, not just the abortion issue, not just, um, but, you know, the the physician-assisted suicide issue, um, all this kind of stuff. There's, there's optim, there's re- if you're pro-life in Maryland, there are things that we can do to be successful. There is optimism in this movement. Um, what's going on on the national level is going to create some opportunities going forward. Um, and so they, they talked a lot about that as well. Um, uh, Secretary Schultz, Kelly Schultz came, you know, potential gubernatorial run, certainly looked very gubernatorial when she spoke to us, talked a lot about what the governor is doing in creating jobs and opportunity in this state. Uh, one of the many reasons that he's as popular as he is is because he's turned this economy around, gotten unemployment down, job growth, economic growth way up. She talked about what they're doing with that. Um, look like look like a real serious potential candidate um, doing that. Lieutenant Governor, maybe something else. I don't know, but uh, she was great. Uh, Andrew Langer did a fantastic job with his guest. Uh, including Michael Doherty, State Rifle and Pistol Association. We had, and I'm blanking on his name now, from um, Maryland Shall Issue on gun rights. These guys know their stuff. We got we got three, and certainly, <laughs> certainly Andrew knows a lot about a lot of things. But we got three of the smartest guys in the in the Second Amendment community in the state talking about what can be done and and where the issues are here. And, you know, the MSI guy, we talked about this before, is like, we're litig- we're in litigation now. Um, and, I, I'm, you know, they got some testimony about uh, this long gun bill that's coming up uh, that if you haven't checked out, you really should. It's very compelling stuff. But MSI is really, really focused on litigation. And, you know, they're talking about the handgun re- uh, permit review board um, issue. You know, they were this. The courts are where the Second Amendment issue is going to be decided as much as the fight is going to be in the legislature and there's going to be a lot more success in, in courtrooms, uh, particularly in the federal courts going forward on this issue. So it was a fascinating, very, very informative by guys who really, really know what they're talking about. Um, so if you, you know, if you wanted to be informed about the gun issue, these were the guys, these aren't, you know, and they all use their real names. These aren't guys with pseudonyms on Facebook somewhere, putting up videos in their backyard. These are serious, intelligent, engaged people who are leaders in this community, who know the law forwards and backwards, who understand the issues and the players, and they gave a fantastic presentation uh, led by Andrew Langer. We really appreciated that. Then we had uh, Roxy. um, I just call her Roxy because she's fantastic. Came in to standing ovation. Our most recent elected Bowie City Councilwoman um, came in and was unabashedly Republican and conservative and said, uh, we can win. We need to change people's opinion of us. Uh, that led into our Women in Politics panel where Diana Waterman did a fantastic job with Maria Sophia and Delegate Erican and Senator Carroza. Um, for a lot of people, that was the highlight of the entire event. Them talking about the challenges that women face in politics, how they were successful. They all had their own model. It was, it was a great, great presentation. Then Eugene Craig, who put together uh, a diversity panel talking about um, uh, and, and it was a, it was a panel of African-Americans. So so, you know, we'll look at some other minorities and other avenues of diversity, I think, in, in other years. But talking about the challenges, look, it was a, they wanted to come. These folks who are leaders in our party, Tony Campbell was there, Eugene Craig, both current and former chairmen of the state party. You had Shannon Wright, who's running for the city of. Uh, mayor for the city of Baltimore. You had some other uh, engaged activists in the conservative community here in Maryland talking about, you know, an honest discussion about what are the challenges that, that we as conservatives and Republicans face in in reaching out to the African-American community. And I thought it was really engaging and honest. And people asked really sincere questions and got really matter-of-fact answers. It was great uh, it, it was a, a, a great presentation, which and uh, right after them was Congressman Andy Harris, who was, by the way, he was the star of the Washington Post article. The Washington Post reporter came in <laughs> just to see Congressman Harris. So thank you, Congressman Harris, for helping us get some press for this thing. 
It's interesting the Annapolis Capitol didn't cover this, even though Brian is a columnist for him. It was in Annapolis. We had all these leaders in Annapolis here. I don't know what it is about the Annapolis Capitol that this wasn't newsworthy. Um, local radio station covered it. We had lots of great coverage, thanks to our friends at WBAL. So, I, I you know, I don't know. Um, but what are you going to do? Uh, but Congressman Harris was fantastic talking about it's funny he talked about state issues and he referred to it as kerwan which was which is kind of fun this is a guy who's in washington a lot who's reading about this in the papers obviously um but he's a he's a fan favorite a little bit of video of that on our twitter feed if you want to check out just a snippet of of his presentation um state senator justin reedy came out not just talking about what he's doing in the state senate which was fascinating but another guy who is in the business of winning elections, uh, former executive director of our Maryland Republican Party, talked about how far we've come as a party in the state since 2007 when we're in Maryland started. Uh, made a point of, of pointing out that, you know, we at Red Maryland were a part of that and we've worked with Justin ever since then. Another guy who believes we can win and do more and he, we can get more state senators elected. And the fact is, in the last election, while people look as a downer, what we accomplished in Maryland, picking up a state Senate seat and losing a couple very closely, was absolutely breaking the trend of what we saw around the country and what we saw in, in other races in the state. Um, man, I wish we had been able to get to that filibuster-sustaining majority, and we, God knows we tried our best, but to even pick up a seat was, was pretty impressive. And that's something you talked about. There's a lot of optimism in 2022 was was part of was part. But we're going to have to be smart. And we're going to have to be effective. When we get to the next break, I'll talk about probably the biggest issue we'll talk about. And then we wrapped up State Senator Carroza had a great video talking about her success. And then we wrapped it up. And I mean, those are just highlights. Again, I could take the whole hour talking about this stuff. If you were there, thank you so much for coming. It was it was a it was a great event. We learned a lot. We're going to do it again next year. Um, the people who were there the whole time are super fans, and we love every single one of you. Um, you know, there are people coming at the door. Kim Klasik, uh was there. Liz Matori, candidates who were there who spent part of their day uh, with us and the rest of the day campaigning. Um, lots of elected officials there, lots of. Uh, lots of leaders and organizations. We were talking to the great folks up at uh, the Carol Victory Group. We're looking forward to working with them in the future. Um, so many people I could thank. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a ton of people. Uh, our, the the Wakamako women who came up, who were so supportive of us. Um, on and on and on down the line. And, and thank you all. If I'm missing you, please excuse me for doing that. Uh, but anyway, it was a great event. I, I <laughs> we have a lot to be excited about in this party. We have a lot to be excited about as a conservative movement. We've got a lot of fantastic people working every single day in this state to make it a better place. And we have a lot of reason to be optimistic. And if we're smart and if we're hardworking and if we're, we're focused on things we want to do, we can make Maryland a much better place. That was the theme of it. That's what you. That's what I think you walked away with inescapably. And um, if you didn't come this year, and you're listening to this right now, if you if you read Red Maryland, just when we announce it in the in the coming months, mark your calendar. Make it a point to be here. It's some place that, if you're a conservative activist, if you're a Central Committee member, if you're a member of a Republican auxiliary group, if you're a candidate thinking about being a candidate. You have to come to this event. It is absolutely worth every penny and, and worth your time on a Saturday in January uh, to come check this out. So anyway, thanks again, everybody. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and we're going to talk about the budget. Hey, this is a big deal. This, this budget proposal by the governor is a big, big deal. And it shows you why it's so important that uh, we as a conservative move and continue to move forward and, and get people elected. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, 
cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Uh, Oh, shit. Well, I feel like the conversation we've been having in the last five minutes is a lot more interesting than the shit they're talking about on the radio. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. It's just moronic commentary and stupid sound effects, and it's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Well, we have voices. We talk about the issues, Mm -hmm. you know? I feel like we could do a podcast, and it would be a million times better than whatever that drivel was we were listening to. Without a doubt. Here on Red Maryland Radio, a um, all the music bumpers tonight. That was Judas Priest, uh, the Green Man Alicia from the from the amazing Hellbent for Leather album. All of the bumper music are are going to be from bands who got screwed by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Okay, Judas Priest is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's crazy, right? I mean, Whitney Houston's great and all, but she's not a rock and roll artist. Okay, whatever. Judas Priest is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's crazy. That doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't even know how that works. Anyway, that's not why you're here. Let's talk about something more positive. Uh, the General Assembly session has started. Lots of announcements. Lots of people rolling out agendas. The, the one of the the only constitutionally required piece of business that the legislature must do every year is pass a budget, and. Uh, the budget process in the state of Maryland is different than it is on the national level. The governor of our state has tremendous control over the budget. Okay. He essentially the way that it works is that the governor proposes a budget. The legislature can cut. It cannot add to it. There's some debate as to how much they can move stuff around. That's been a point of contention in the past. Uh, sometimes the governor will have a budget and then they'll talk about some things and they'll have a supplemental budget or a couple supplemental budgets. So there's some ongoing discussion. Much of the budget, about 85% of it is spending that is mandated by law from previous years. What's called mandated spending. If the governor wants to deviate from that in his budget, he has to introduce something that's called a budget reconciliation uh, act and financing act uh, commonly the shorthand is burfa so what governor hogan has done in recent years is issued a budget that maintains all of the mandated spending uh, that's required by law but still controls spending and doesn't ask for a burfa and so the legislature's kind of stuck all they can do is cut and they've tried to move stuff around and try to fence stuff off and the governor's fought them on some of that stuff but Here's what we've got. Here's the governor issued um, announced his budget proposal this year. And I want you to listen to this because it's something we've talked about over the years. And, and the governor issued a by the numbers release. Let's start with the big numbers. And as conservative Republicans, you need to hear this. This is why we as conservatives should be happy that Larry Hogan is governor, because everything I'm about to tell you would not be the case if Ben Jealous were governor. Number one. For the sixth consecutive year, the governor's budget is structurally balanced with no tax increase. No tax increase. Okay? The governor's budget limits spending growth to 1% without raising taxes, cutting services, or rating dedicated special funds. 1% growth. That's less than the rate of inflation. This, This budget is a flat budget in real dollars. Okay? I, when was the last time the Republicans in Washington were able to do that, controlling all of all of the uh, all of the branches of the federal government? OK, so we have a balanced budget, no tax increases. All the mandated spending is, is taken care of. One percent growth. 
Um, $242 million. The budget exceeds the legislature's guidelines by leaving the rainy day fund balance of 6.25% of revenues, $242 million more than statutory required. More money set aside. So we increase spending overall by 1%, no tax increases, no cuts in services, and we're able to put money aside. If that's not the definition of fiscal conservatism and responsibility, I'm not sure what is. That would not be the case if Ben Jealous had been, had been there. And by the way, talking about fully funding things, when combined with uh, FY21 ending fund balance and the funds in the rainy day fund, the state has more than $1.3 billion in reserves now. Mandated spending now consumes 83% of the state budget, leaving only 17 cents of every tax dollar to work with to keep the budget balanced and rein in on affordable spending. The governor's been able to do that with, at, with you know, 83% of his hands tied behind his back. Pretty darn impressive and would not be the case if Ben Jealous had been governor. I can promise you that. Remember when Martin O'Malley increased taxes 41 times and he says, I've cut the budget to the bone. I have to make hard choices. Well, his choices were always raising taxes. The governor has actually done it. Okay. And let's talk about education because because the Democrats are saying we have to spend four billion dollars more per year on education. Okay. Currently, we spend about currently we send seven point three billion dollars. Governor's budget. Funds K-12 through education at record levels for the sixth year in a row. Record levels. No governor in the history of the state has spent more on K-12 through education than Governor Larry Hogan. Record increases every single year, including nearly $7.3 billion in FY21. And that's $7 million more in education funding for Baltimore City than required by the mandated spending requirements. The governor's budget ensures that every jurisdiction receives more education funding than in the prior year. Now, here's, you know, you talk about Baltimore City and closing the gap and all this kind of stuff. You want to talk about how much we subsidize Baltimore City? Under the governor's budget, Baltimore City will receive $13,515 per pupil, nearly 66% more than the average statewide. That's just the state part of it, by the way. That doesn't include what the city is spending itself. $13,515 from the state per pupil in the city of Baltimore that's 66, that's two-thirds more than what anybody else in the state gets. And the Democrats are saying that our schools are woefully underfunded, that we, it, it, that we have to ha- add 50% to that. That's insane. $350 million uh that include that is included for initiatives consistent with the Kerwin Commission recommendations. This is funding for what was, you know, the initial blueprint, whatever that was passed last year. We talked about that. There's money in the budget to pay for that last year and this year. It's going forward where there's not the money. And three hundred fifty three hundred fifty million dollars is a heck of a lot different than four billion dollars. See how you can balance the budget and increase spending it for your priorities. And not raise taxes. You're not going to be able to do that if Kerwin passes. Also includes $733 million uh, for school construction as part of a $3.9 billion initiative. So it goes on and on. And and we can link at Red Maryland to the governor's full thing. There's, you know, the environmental spending and and, uh, public safety spending. A lot of stuff on on, uh, crime, including... um, $38.7 $38.7 million for law enforcement grants and uh, $2.6 million for 25 new prosecutors for Baltimore City. This is a big deal. And by the way, the governor came out today and said, not only can I balance the budget with no real growth in state spending, fund all the priorities, record funding for education, deal, put significant resources towards dealing with the out-of-control crime problem in Baltimore City, I can also cut taxes for retirees and help keep them in the state. For a a tax cut program that's going to cost about a billion dollars once it's fully implemented over the number of years. The governor's talking about doing. That's what that, that. So you got a governor who's controlling the line on spending, 
who's fighting against tax increases, who's fighting for tax cuts. And by the way, he can't do that on his own, so the legislature is going to have to go along with him. What's the Democrat program? The Democrat program is $40 billion in, in education spending alone that we have no way to pay for, increases in at least the sales tax, with progressives talking about increases in, um, in uh, the income tax, and, and localities led by Democrats wanting to lift the cap on the local income tax so that they can raise property and local taxes in their local counties even more. That's the Democrat alternative. The Democrat alternative is tax and spend, is unaffordable spending, um, reckless, unsustainable spending, mandated by law with no way to pay for it, and ever higher taxes. You wonder why the governor has 70-plus percent approval rating, job approval rating from Democrats? Because Democrats don't want don't want this either. Democrats don't think that our schools need 50 percent more money to be fully funded when there's record education spending every year. And the governor gets this and the governor's talking about this. And that's why he's so effectively going after Kerwin. See, if Ben Jealous had been governor, that wouldn't be the debate. They would have rubber stamped Kerwin. We'd had out of control spending. We'd had monster structural deficits and we'd be talking about the tough choices to fund the programs that we need to wit reluctantly we'll have to raise taxes it would it would be the exact same thing we saw under martin o'malley but what governor has governor hogan has has proven is a basic conservative tenet that government can uh accomplish its statutory and constitutional requirements. And by the way, the governor would love to, make no mistake, the governor would love to cut taxes further and reduce state spending and roll back a lot of these mandates. He's been pushing for that for years. He doesn't have the numbers in the legislature, which goes back to what I talked about in the last segment. If you want somebody who's going to hold the line on taxes, you got to elect more Republicans. Maybe Republicans who don't hold to your views on, you know, have views as agree with you 100% on immigration or, you know, something else, but agree with you 100% on taxes. Let's get more of them in the legislature rather than people like, you know, the David Moons and Eric Ludkeys of the world. Let's get more people like that in the legislature. Then we can really accomplish something. And yet there are people in our party who think that that's a bad, we, that, that won't solve the problem. Really? Really? That won't, I, I, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. I bet it could help. You want legislators who are opposed to, to you know, red flag laws. How about, how about we elect more who will sustain the governor's veto on the disbanding of the, uh, uh, on the handgun review board commission? Can we start with that? Rather than having more legislators who are elected by, like the Sarah Elfriths of the world, and the, you know, can we can we get people like Deb Ray and Tony McConkie and Glenn Glass back in the legislature, and have fewer people who are beholden to the teachers' unions and moms demand action in the legislature? The fact is, we can if we were smart and we emphasize issues like like the ones I'm talking about, like the tax issue. Anyway, if you're conservative and you're not super impressed with what the governor's trying to do, and by the way, the, the Democrats are not going to be able to increase this. We're going to have 1% growth in state spending. We've had very small growth in state spending for a number of years. This is something we've talked about the years. It doesn't get a lot of attention. The fact is the governor's office doesn't talk about it as much as they should. They didn't talk about it a lot during the election. I guess it probably didn't do well with their focus groups. But it's his strongest conservative bona fide is his controlling the growth of state spending and his opposition to higher taxes and his desire to get tax relief. Now, I know there are conservatives out there, you know, these kind of wacko guys, the, the alt-right guys who say, well, it's easy to be against higher taxes. Not in Maryland, it's not. Not in Maryland, it's not. Anyway, kudos to the governor. Let's come back. I want to talk about this uh, 
uh, crime proposal because that's another big issue. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. We will be, as soon as I can bring this up, we'll be right back. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Come on, there are plenty of amazing women politicians. Name one. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton? Awful. How is she awful? Hates freedom. Uh- one Right, we're back here on Red Maryland Radio, a little Motorhead, another group. How is Motorhead not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Hello? Will they put in Tenacious D or something? Uh, what? In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Really? Madonna's in there? What? But not Motorhead. Sure, that makes sense. Black Sabbath got rejected nine times. Sure, that's a, that's a legitimate Hall of Fame. Yeah, I want to hear Andrew Langer defend the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to me again. Give me a break. It's a joke. But anyway, not Tenacious D. I was kidding. They're a joke band. Though they did win a Grammy. How does Tenacious D win a Grammy? Heavy. It was, I forget it. Some, some hip-hop artist that they're putting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In lieu of the aforementioned Judas Priest and Motorhead. Putting in T-Rex, but not Thin Lizzy. What? What? Whatever. Don't get me started. That's not why you're here. As I mentioned in the first break, the biggest issue <laughs> um, in the legislature this year, we heard we heard our Republicans talking about this. The governor has talked about this. Polling has shown this. People, you know, in the IRL and not in the Annapolis bubble are talking about the number one issue is crime. You know, the the Senate President Emeritus, who, by the way, Senate President Emeritus Mike Miller is my favorite Mike Miller. Okay, because he's a back. He's literally a backbencher who's throwing he's throwing fire on uh, the Democratic leadership for not doing anything about. You know, he's he's saying Rome is burning. (laughs) I I, I love it. I love this guy, Um, you know, uh He's not he's not running anymore, so he's throwing crap at the new guy. It's great. It won't last. I know, but it's fun. And he's right. Of course he's right. 348 homicides in Baltimore City last year. You've got an interim mayor who's running, who's raising a million dollars, who's corrupt as the day is long. Most of them running are. He's not going to change anything if he gets reelected. He's getting a million in the bank from the same people, the same you know, um, kingmakers who've been bankrolling everybody else. It's no wonder the polls are inconclusive and nobody knows who's going to win this thing. By the way, our friend, our friend Doug Mayer, we didn't ask him about this, um, but he's working for Thero Vignaraja, which I have some questions, Doug. Um, but anyway. That guy's near, his client is near the top of the polls. I don't know what that means. He's getting paid. I know that. But Baltimore's a mess. It's not likely to be cleaned up anytime soon. Because there's nobody in the city of Baltimore, as the governor's been pointing out, who has a serious plan for dealing with with violent crime. You've got the state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who's gone out of state and, you know, is, is showing unity but is not really dealing with the problem. It's classic Baltimore politics. The, the skill at getting elected 
And being elected in Baltimore is deflecting blame, not solving problems. If if there's some white Republican somewhere that you can blame, and I'm sorry, I, I it's, it's as coarse as that. That's what it is. That's what Marilyn Mosby is doing. Now, people will say, I, I've had people say, don't criticize Baltimore voters. You know, Marilyn Mosby won a very close primary. There's a lot of people in the city who get what you're saying, Greg. The governor has a lot of support within the city. He did surprisingly well as a Republican, yada, yada, yada. But when you look at the final results, it's the same type of people. Okay. You've got, you, you've got one party rule. You've got um, a, a very corrupt insider process within Democratic primary politics. It's very much identity politics. It's very much left-wing activist politics, failed policies. It's, it's very much about um, people, you know, protecting their turf and making sure they get their cut. It's corrupt as heck, just innately. And, you know, I think T.J. Smith's an interesting guy. Thero Vignaraja may may say things that are different. But the reality is you're probably going to end up with, you know, a Jack Young or a Brandon Scott. And nothing's going to really change. And so one of the things that was mentioned, Shannon Wright, who's a Republican running for mayor, um, one of the things that she said, because I want to give her credit because she's absolutely right. Um, she mentioned during during the panel that she was on that um, she made the statement that, you know, we're, we're all familiar with the concept that a rising tide lifts all boats. And we are. And she pointed out when it comes to the city of Baltimore and Maryland as a whole, because there was some real discussion about why should we care about what happens in the city of Baltimore? The people in the city of Baltimore keep electing the same type of leaders, keep making the same type of mistakes, keep insisting on the same types of policies they, they don't really open their politics to, to new ideas and elect new people. Why, and why should we keep doing it? And here's the point that she made, and she's absolutely right. A rising tide lifts all boats, but one hole will sink a ship. And that's what's going on in Baltimore. And that's why the legislature has to do more to step. They have to. They have to. And by the way, you know, when the Senate president emeritus says Rome is burning, we down here in Annapolis need to do something. The response from a lot of his fellow Democrats is, well, let's people who live in the city talk about this. Well, the elected officials in the city are the problem because they're not fixing it. They're not interested in fixing it. Their plan doesn't work. Well, here's a plan who, which may have some impact. We talked about some of the things the governor has talked about. The House Minority Caucus has uh, unveiled a legislative package to deal with the uh, urgent crisis and violent crime. Here's some of their ideas. The Stopping Dangerous and Violent Offenders Act of 2020. Okay. First thing, that, this is a quote now from Minority Leader Matt, Assistant Minority Leader Matt Morgan. First thing we have to do is make sure individuals who are committing heinous crimes and exhibit zero respect for human life go to jail and stay in jail. Common sense legislation that our citizens understand. Dangerous people have no business walking free in our communities. Okay. Um, it requires that that more than um, that, that, you know, full sentences be served. We have this weird sentencing regime that people think someone's getting 20 years in jail and they're out in four or less. OK, it's something we've talked about here at Red Maryland for a long, long time. It's something the governor's talked about, whether you want to call it truth in sentencing, whether you want to call it accountability, whatever it is. The point is very simple. If you want to reduce violent crime, you take people who commit violent crime, especially those who do it repeatedly, you put them in jail and you keep them there. Progressive Democrats are absolutely opposed to that. They see, they see incarceration as the problem and not a solution to crime. That's the fundamental disagreement between uh, conservatives and progressives, uh, unfortunately, Republicans and the majority of Democrats. And the fact is you got violent people walking the streets of Baltimore committing violent crimes who should be in jail and kept there and aren't. This is a common sense proposal. Most Marylanders, I, I guarantee you, of every political stripe would be in favor of this. The fact that it is not that it does not have wide bipartisan majorities is a symptom of how left wing ideology fueled. Supported, sustained by 
partisan, hyper-partisan gerrymandering and identity politics is preventing common-sense policy solutions to seemingly intractable problems, in this case, crime. Uh, Protecting Marylanders from Violent Crime Act, uh, another good issue about, you know, um, making sure that we cooperate with federal authorities that could keep violent criminals off the streets. Common sense thing. Again, we've got identity politics and progressive politics getting in the way of this is something that Congressman Harris talked a lot about getting in the way of a common sense approach to keeping people safe. We could have the feds take away under completely compliant with federal law and the Constitution people who are committing violent crimes. By refusing to cooperate with them, we have more violent criminals on the streets. And guess what the results are? You see this huge spike in rapes in Montgomery County. See, you see murders that are directly caused by these policies happening in Prince George's County and other places. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't scare taxes. This is really happening. And people, again, who live in the real world, who are experiencing by this, who are oppressed by this crime, they don't care about ideology. They want to live in safer neighborhoods. And, and you know, at some point we have to find a way to translate that into uh, electoral success for people who tend to agree with us. And in places like Montgomery County, that might mean moderate, you know, supporting moderate Republican candidates who, uh, I don't know, might be pro-choice but are tougher on crime or, you know, who, who want common sense approaches to immigration issues. I mean, we at least have to be open to that idea. Some of you aren't, and I don't understand why. Uh, Gun Theft is a Felony Act 2020. Makes it a firearm, makes theft of a firearm a felony with a minimum sentence of two years. Again, uh, one of the things the legislators talk about is the blatant hypocrisy. Democrats want to talk about gun control for um, legal gun owners, regulating things like, you know, letting someone borrow your shotgun, which is very much not the cause of any of the 348 murders that occurred in the city of Baltimore last year. But when it comes to getting tough on criminals who use guns, they're not interested in that heard that time and time again from legislators. Here's another example. You want to get tough on people who are committing crimes with guns? Here you go. Do you want to just take away the rights of legal gun owners? Do you just want to regulate guns or do you want to get or do you want to punish people who use guns in the commission of crime? Democrats seem only interested in the former. Truth and Plea Deals Act, this is another thing the governor has talked about doing. Um you know, that, that we ha- it's complicated, and uh, we have a link at redmaryland.com. You can see this, um, where you have issues where we have sentencing guidelines and you have plea deals that people are getting sentences below what the guidelines say, but they're still getting benefits of early release and other things. Um, that's not going to happen anymore. If you're going to have a sentence below the, the guidelines, we're not going to pretend like it's an okay sentence as a result of a plea deal. Again, This is a process by which we're having violent criminals getting out of jail far too early and getting put back on the street. The the thrust here, again, is to create a legal environment where violent repeat criminals go to jail and they stay there. And Democrats are opposed to that as a solution to crime, point blank. Um, Having more victim involvement in, in uh, being able to talk about plea deals, having cameras in the courtroom when when violent criminals are sentenced. I'm not a fan of cameras in the courtroom. This is a rather limited proposal. That again, the idea is, if if people saw what was going in courtrooms with the the, the sentencing of violent criminals, if people saw that and had and were confronted by that, they lose their minds. And the Democrats want to keep a lid on that. It's the same thing that the governor's talking about, about publishing sentences issued by judges. I mean, the judges don't want you to know that. But again, this is is another issue that as Republicans is a winner for us statewide. 
a Republican running anywhere, pretty much anywhere in the state in a remotely fair legislative district running on issues like holding the line, opposing higher taxes, fiscal responsibility, getting tough on violent crime. That's a winner. That's a winner. That's somebody who can be competitive with any Democrat. That's somebody who can get Democrat votes. That's somebody who can get, and they may not agree with us on other things. Okay. But someone like, if we had more people like that in the legislature, as, as opposed to people who are opposing these seemingly common sense things, not only would our movement advance, not only would the Republican Party get more people elected, the state would be better off. People would be safer. Our taxes would be lower. So that's why all this stuff matters and, and why we're lucky we have as many good Republicans as we have, including the governor, and why we need more. And we can get more if we're willing to, to be smart and understand the, the realities of it. And that's why we do what we do here at Red Maryland. Folks, I'm going to wrap up the show now. Thanks for listening. Brian should be back next week. A couple housekeeping items I want to let you know about. Um, you can continue your support of Red Maryland. We just got a very nice contribution um, in the mail. Thank you very much. And and there's a thank you note coming your way. I won't. They asked not to be mentioned publicly, so I won't do that. Um, you can support us. Go to patreon.com slash Red Maryland. Every penny that we receive goes back into red Maryland. So, you know, if you bought a ticket for this year's conference, you paid for this year's conference. And if you were a sponsor, you helped make next year's conference possible. If you help us on Patreon, patreon.com slash red Maryland, you help us keep this show on the internet and expand what we do. And we've got this green screen that you helped us buy that I'm not pointing at it because it's not there, but it will be very soon. We've ordered it. It's here. It's going to happen. You're going to help us make next year's um, conference bigger and better. And uh, just bring you more stuff, man. There's so much more we can do. I mean, and and it's one of the things that reminds us when we're in a busy session, Brian and I, you know, we work full-time job. We have have family, as I know all of you do. We try to do what we can. There's so much more we'd love to get to. And we met some folks who we hope will join us in that effort. But your support helps us reach a lot more people for the things we can talk about. So please do consider being a, a patron. Patreon.com slash Red Maryland. If you do that, you get lots of cool stuff. We have the cool History of Red Maryland podcast. I've had six installments. We'll be recording some more in the coming weeks. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, some interesting stories. You get to find out where some of the bodies are buried. Um, and lots of other cool stuff that we'll, we'll pass along. As time goes on. So uh, also don't forget to vote in our Red Maryland January poll. Go to redmaryland.com. Check out our January poll. There's still time to vote. We'll have the results coming up. We've got special elections we're polling. Competitive primaries there. Mayoral elections. Other congressional races that we're polling. We've got a primary coming up in just a couple months. Lots of other questions we're asking this month, the January 2020 Red Maryland Poll. Also gives you a chance to tell us whatever you want to talk about. Love to get your feedback. Speaking of which, you can leave us your feedback anytime by uh, going to redmaryland.com. You can send us an email, redmaryland at gmail.com, facebook.com slash redmaryland. Facebook.com slash Red Maryland at Twitter, Twitter (laughs) at Red Maryland. Okay. You can always call us as well if I can pull the number up here and I can on the talk back line, which is 410-205-4875-410-205-4875. Leave us a message. We've got some backed up that I've been meaning to play. We just haven't been able to get to them, but we listen to all of them. We're ready to believe you. Send us your manifestos. I've got a box full of unanswered, handwritten questions from the conference. You should see some of these things. Send, them, send that to us. We're, we're happy to read it and share what we can. Um, and love to get your feedback. And let us know what you think. <laughs> and with that, let me uh, bid you a fond adieu. Hang in there. 
we will get there and we'll leave with again just absolutely ridiculous these guys are not in the rock and roll hall of fame judas priest with the hellion folks thanks for listening hang in there we will get there